Welcome to episode 238 with my guest, Jason Ikovitz. Uh, this episode is sponsored by uh, the Out of the Darkness Chicagoland Community Walk, which benefits the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, a four-star rated nonprofit by Charity Navigator. Go uh, to chicagowalk.org for more information and to uh, donate and support it. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod is also the Twitter handle you can uh, follow me at. Uh, I'm often tweeting or retweeting all kinds of good resources uh, for people. articles to read, uh, maybe places for low-fee counseling. So if you haven't followed me on Twitter, um, get on it. Get on it. Um, and you know, go visit our website, mentalpod.com. There's all kinds of stuff there. You can support the show. You can read uh, blogs. You can join the forum. You can fill out the surveys, which I love to read on the show. helps me get to know you guys, the, the listeners. Uh, while I'm thinking of it, two upcoming live gigs that I am super, super excited about. Um, the first one is, uh, the, the week of September, uh, 18th to, to 20th. I believe, um, mine is on Saturday night, uh, the 19th. It's at LA Podfest, um, which uh, is just a great, uh, great event. Uh, All kinds of podcasters doing live events. And if you can't make it in person, you can actually uh, purchase the live video stream that you can also watch for up to three weeks afterwards. And it is uh, $25, but if you use the offer code MENTAL, uh, you get $5 off. And I get $7 of uh, all of those purchases that uh, that you make using that offer code. So it really does help support the show. And you get to see, uh, go, go to lapodfest.com and see the lineup of uh, podcasts that you'll get to see video of. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the other live event that I'm super excited about, oh, and my guest is going to be Jackie Cation for, uh, for LA Podfest. I'm really excited about that. She's the host of Dork Forest and a, a stand-up comedian. And the other uh, gig I have coming up, which is so out of my comfort zone to set up, um, is going to be September 27th. It's a Sunday night at 7 o'clock at the Bell House in Brooklyn. And my guest is Lane Moore, who is a uh, writer, performer. Uh, she's written for The Onion, super hilarious, very open about uh, her anxiety, her depression, um, uh, her workaholism. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, to having her for the live show. And uh, t- tickets are available right now for that. And you can get those at the Bell House NY. Uh, dot com. That's T-H-E-B-E-L-L-H-O-U-S-E-N-Y dot com. And uh, I believe they're $20 at the door, $15 in, ad- in advance. Um, and I think that's that's it for the, um, the upcoming live gigs. Um, what did I want to say? Oh, I have been playing so much Civilization lately. Civilization 5. Not the old civilization I was playing on the iPad. That's, you know, that that is 
the Civ Five I'm playing is the neurosurgeon to uh, the Civ for iPad, which is like somebody who takes a CPR class. It is so involved, and it is just crack. It is just pure crack. I should open it in a pipe. <laughs> I've played several times till sunup recently. But the, the high that I'm chasing when I play that game, because I am I got some stuff going on in my life that I, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Uh, you know, it involves uh, another person, and they're very private, and I just want to protect their, their, their privacy. But um, so I've just been escaping into this game. At least that's what I think is, is what's going on. And um, the feeling I get when I'm in a good game of Civ Five and it's competitive, and there's a feeling like I'm not going to win, but all of a sudden things are starting to turn around, and I've, I've been having this battle with uh, the civilization I'm, I'm in this game is um, the Greeks, and my arch nemesis is, uh, are the Aztecs, and they just keep invading me. And so I'm pouring all this money into research so that I can get better weapons. And I got stealth technology before them. Now, I've never smoked crack, but the feeling that I get when I bomb one of their cities or their giant death robots with one of my stealth bombers, it's, it's just pure nirvana. It's just every problem in the world fades away. I feel good about myself. It's a cocoon. It's like somebody comes in with warm blankets. There's this feeling that I that I love when I've had a lot of operations in my life. And my favorite part, probably the only part I like about um, getting an operation, although maybe being cared for is, is a nice part too, but right before you go under, um, they put you on a gurney, they put an IV in your arm, and they give you some Valium. And then a nurse comes and puts a warm blanket around you. And it is just, that is how I feel when I'm bombing the fuck out of some upstart civilization. Somebody does what I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy. But I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it, but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so that is when I first felt love. Like I first felt. Reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrender. I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing. I'm here with Jason uh, Ikovitz, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He lives here in Los Angeles. But the reason I wanted to talk to you, I got so excited when you emailed me, as you grew up with a dad who pushed you really, really hard in sports. Yeah. Um, when I was, well, yeah, I grew up here in, in L.A. I grew up in a in a nice Jewish home, um, middle class. How old are you? I'm 40 years old. Okay. And um, about the age of 9 or 10, 
you know, playing baseball got really competitive in my house. And uh, my dad was kind of obsessed. He was obsessed. And was he a big baseball fan <clears throat> before you started playing baseball? Yeah. You know, um, yeah, we were always listening to baseball games. I remember during the summer. Dodger fans. Huge Dodger fan, listening to games on the radio in my dad's bed. And um, yeah, he was a sports fan. He's always been a sports fan. Uh, basketball was really his sport growing up. Uh, he played a little. That, that he played. That he played. He played yeah. a little baseball. Didn't have much success at it. Um, but baseball, um, you know, I played baseball and basketball. And basketball was really left to my own, and I really kind of was able to do what I wanted with that. But um, I take it it was much more enjoyable as well. Yes, you know what? Even today, like as if you ask me what my favorite sport is, it's basketball. Basketball is always something for me that I could escape and and go out and and be myself in a way. And the thing that's fun about basketball as well as hockey and a couple other sports is you can physically express yourself uh, in a way. You can have like a style. Yes, that's uh, there. There's much more room. It feel it feels like for artist artistry and totally. uh, i don't know why i pronounce that like i'm six years old artistry um then some of the other sports like football or, or baseball but uh, go ahead you no know, you're definitely right basketball is a is an area where you can also be aggressive and get out that stress of you know you know bumping someone and and not having to um you know any repercussions about it it's just mm -hmm. part of the game where baseball it's it's a little bit more stagnant you know you only get a couple you know opportunities each game you know you maybe get three at bats and maybe a couple of ground balls and that's all you have and you got to make you unless gotta, you're charging home plate you're you know or sliding into second you're really not going to have a whole lot of chances to yeah <laughs> drill somebody or really let that super aggro aggression uh -huh. out yeah you know and I, I as a kid I, I wanted to pitch that was something that I really enjoyed doing and my dad encouraged it and he was all about it and what happened was is that my dad would pick me up my sister and I up from school with my mom and my dad and I would go to the park and we always had a bucket of balls in the back of the car with my bat, my helmet, and my glove. And we would we would search the valley for different parks. So there was like always four spots that we were looking for an open field where we could play. And, um, you know, at these fields, and I don't even know how it came about, but at some point we um, made friends with... Uh, with the coach at Pepperdine, the, the pitching coach, and he started giving me the lessons. So this is like, you know, mid-80s, and nowadays there's all these club teams and there's all these specialized instructional opportunities. But at that time, I think we were really ahead of the game. And we would have an hour uh, meeting, and, you know, he would teach me the fundamentals of, of pitching. And we got really technical of where your arm is supposed to be and how you're supposed to push off and where you're supposed to hold your hand and how the ball is supposed to be held. And then we started learning how to throw like a change up. So I would have a little, um, you know, extra pitch and, you know, we were trying to be ahead of the curb, you know, really give me that advantage. And <clears throat> at some point it turned into hitting lessons. And I think he kind of pushed us off onto someone else because he was really a pitching coach and the, the hitting lessons really took a different turn. And that is also very technical of where your head's supposed to be, what you're supposed to do with your back foot, how you're supposed to approach the plate. And it really got intense around the hitting. And, it, you know, it was actually... A, On your, from your dad or from your dad and this coach? The coach was... was it, never got, it never got intense with the coach there. It was always when my dad and I were alone. 
um, at the field. Uh, the coach was always, you know, it was, it, the coach was actually felt very safe. I remember feeling a lot safer with the coach because I knew that it wasn't my, when my dad got angry with me, it was never a public thing. It was always a private. Experience. What would he say when he would get angry with you? When I didn't live up to the expectations of what we were working on, whether it be keeping my head down or where my feet were supposed to be or, or just how I performed that day, my dad would, would, you know, his rage would come out. He would be screaming at me. He'd be yelling at me. And it, sometimes it started on the field, and a lot of times it happened in the back of the car um, when my family was driving back. And we were we were playing in the valley, and home was on the west side, so we had a long ride home. And sometimes it continued all the way home. Like and, what would he say? You know what? I don't know. That's the sad part is that I don't remember. You know, there was so much of it happening that, you know, with trauma, I just blocked it out. Yeah. I completely blocked it Where out. Where would you go in your head? You know, would I, you just numb yourself? I would numb myself. I, I would dissociate. Sweet, sweet numbing. Yes. <laughs> it was my safe. I would go into my cave. I go into my little safe cave and every once in a while, the voice inside my head would be like, you know, I just wish you would please stop. When is he going to stop? When is he going to stop? Did you th think that what he was doing was wrong? Or did you take it upon yourself and think, well, he's right, I, I am not good enough? I took it as it being normal. It was my normal. It was just what it was and that I needed, I just wanted his approval so badly. I wanted him to to love me and and not, you know, be in this state. So not have it be conditional. Yes. Was there love outside of sports? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. It was, um, excuse me. My mom is so loving and so giving. Uh, from your dad? Yeah. Uh, and from my dad. Yeah, my my dad would walk to the moon for me. He would absolutely do anything for me and, and love me so tremendously. Um, but in this case, it didn't feel, you know, that it's actually, you know, after these events would occur and I'd be in my room by myself, my mom would come in and try to comfort me and give me, you know, try to put the pieces back together and tell me how much my dad does love me. And then, you know, and it, it just be so crazy making because it would be, he just yelled at me for like an hour. Like, how is that? How does he love me? Like, that doesn't feel like love in that moment. Um, but it used to fuck with me. That's, you know, that would, that would just totally fuck with me. I was like, what is where, where am I? Yeah. Where, which one is true? Yeah. Which one is true? And, and as an adult, it still fucks with me a little bit where, um, what does love feel like? You know, is love when someone's kind of being mean to me or, you know, can I be okay with someone being open and loving to me and taking care of me? You know, it's so uncomfortable at times. Isn't it weird how meanness feels so much more honest to, to me when somebody's being mean to me, uh -huh. I always think, Oh, they're right. Uh -huh. They're right. Yeah. But when somebody's being nice to me, I think either, uh, they just feel sorry for me or they just don't know. They're clueless and they have low standards. Wow. So for me, niceness means what's your angle here? Yeah. What, why are you being nice to me? What is the, you know, I can't, and I'm really good at deflecting that. I talk about my, you know, when I think of it, my birthday, how I hate my birthday and I don't, you know, look forward to my birthday. And on my birthday, I, I do enjoy it, but that attention of everyone yeah. there for me feels so awkward. And so, you know what? I don't, I want to push it away. I want to go in my room and be in my cave. It's a lot safer. And it's rude to say, can you just leave the gifts in the room and <laughs> all go into the kitchen? Yeah. 
and just let me play like yeah. the five-year-old I actually am. Totally. Let me just have the gifts and I don't have to, you know, appreciate or, you know, even recognize that you guys actually are doing something nice for yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, what ways have you turned that numbing that you did as a kid into numbing as an adult, if any, that, that you've noticed? The things that you lose yourself in that you have difficulty uh, moderating. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I thought about this, like I'd be such a candidate to, to be into drugs or alcohol, and it's just not part of me. You know, to um, have that addictive side, it just you know, but not with work or food or video games or TV or pornography or any none of that stuff is uh, difficult in moderation for you. Um, TV is probably the one place. TV definitely in food. You know, I I could sit and if you said Jason, you know, you don't have anything to do tonight or this weekend, uh, yeah, I'm gonna put on my Netflix and watch. You know, best. yeah, it just you, you know, know, it is a sweet combination. Is something with zombies, cheese popcorn and Gatorade. Yeah. That's I can almost see heaven from there. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like uh, for me, it'd be like having a, a, a pizza and you know five episodes of son of anarchy to watch you know or i haven't tried that show yet i hear good things about it's it it's really good it's yeah. it's you know it's one of my first like really guilty pleasures where i'm like oh this is so good but i i feel kind of you know dumber watching this mm -hmm. and but it's 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 i definitely recommend it and now i don't know why i said zombies because it's i like the walking dead but it's truly like the only zombie show that i watch and i'm even starting to fade on that game of thrones game of thrones is a great show say. it's one of the best shows on television yeah yeah and i like walking dead too the, the gore is a little bit too much for me but at times but i cover my eyes and the last episode of the second season by the barn do you oh. remember that yes when they shoot everyone Yes. I'm oh, sorry if I'm giving that away. <laughs> and and one person in particular who had been lost. I don't want to ruin it for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. Mm -hmm. That was, I was like, oh, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. Because it, it was so dark. I, I love when something surprises you with darkness. And then you're like, well, all bets are off. If they're willing to go there, this is exciting. Yeah. Because I can't predict where the hell this is going to go but i feel like the writing kind of slipped slipped uh in the last season or so there's a couple of episodes where it just the writing seemed really kind uh -huh. of la lazy uh -huh. what i really like about the show is if you don't know it you feel like oh it's just a zombie show but it's really oh, a no. human drama Absolutely. and how humans interact in this this time period and and what lengths and what areas they go to and how dark they become and and what they'll do for survival and it's just it's sad, you know, people say, yeah. oh, that would never happen. But in some way, like, you know, the zombie part would never wouldn't, happen. Wouldn't. But the other part, but would the other part, you know, yeah. makes sense. They, it makes total sense. People you know? deal with the apocalypse. Totally. You know, um, so give me some snapshots from, uh, some stories of your relationship with your dad. Um, as, as a kid or as, as a today? kid, as, as a or kid. from any time, but let's start with, uh, one or two as a as a kid one of the things you said in your email is you, that you have a lot of stories about uh -huh. sports with your dad yeah you know you know well the first thing that just came up to me was something that just happened recently where um i was it was christmas break and my my nephews were in town and my, how many kids in your family um just my sister okay yeah 
And um, so my nephews were eight and six, and they're like, Uncle Jay, let's go, you know, play ball. Let's go throw the baseball around. And I'm staying at my parents' house, and my dad came along. We went down to the local park, and we're shooting hoops. And I was playing with the the six-year-old, and my dad was playing with the eight-year-old. And I'm running my six-year-old around, and he's getting tired, so I decided to take some jumpers. Um, And my dad yells over from the other court, and he's like, you know, something like, you know, Jason could never shoot. And, um, you know, I'm just like, what, you know, is he, what is he talking about right now? Is he talking shit to me? And I hit a couple jumpers on the eight foot rim and, and then eventually we switched up and my dad, um, same thing happened with my older nephew where I started taking jumpers and my dad, uh, said, you know, Jay, why don't you go back to the eight foot rim? Maybe you can make some jumpers over there. And at this point, my, my, my rage is at 10 and I have my little nephews there and I'm trying to hold it together. And what I really wanted to say to my dad was like, you know, why don't you go fuck yourself? Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't, but I was so close. I, and I told him to shut up. You know, that was, that's all I can manage to say in that moment without really losing it. And, um, where'd you, where'd you feel the anger? Oh man. You know, right in my chest, right in my head, like, in your face, you yeah. ever feel like uh, my face feels like it could heat soup? Yes, when, when I'm when I'm angry, I I'm a very calm person and I hold my anger in really well. But when it gets to that place, it it wants to explode. I turn into the Incredible Hulk, and I hate being that person. That's the one person I don't want to be, um, and I'm so afraid to be that person. I'm I'm afraid of what it makes the other person feel like on the other end, and and then I'll lose that person, you know, that, that connection that I have with them. I won't, um, you know, they'll be so scared that they'll won't, you know, they'll abandon me. You must be a great therapist because you're so gentle. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a gentle soul. I think, you know, people really recognize that in me, my friends, uh, my family, I'm, I'm, I am, you know, and part of it is, my defense mechanism too, if we want to get in my head a little bit of, I'm so afraid of confrontation and, and, you know, as you could see why that I don't want to, um, rock the boat, you know? So I walk on eggshells a little bit and kind of easily walk up and see how you're doing and kind of assess the situation and make a connection with you. And part of that is through being very gentle. So there isn't any confrontation, so we don't have to get into that heated argument, but you know, I look at my mom and my mom is very similar to me. So I think it's just part of my genetics also of being that. Give me, I just want to jump ahead here for a second. Um, give me some, some snapshot moments of where you connected to a client and you'd created a safe space for them. And they, cause I would, I'm imagining this has happened to you mm-hmm. where for the first time in somebody's life, they felt safe and you were the first person that they truly felt safe and unjudged by. Mm. Can you give without obviously disclosing yeah. any personal information about that person? Talk about it from your point of view. Any, yeah, any moments that well, let us know what it's like being in the, in the chair yeah. when there's a, a, a an emotional uh-huh. breakthrough. Well, well, instead of going through the client side, I'll tell you my side. Cause that's, okay. that's what I felt in therapy. Um, for the second time I, I was in therapy as a kid, 
But when I was 26 years old, I was in therapy and there was some stuff going on with my girlfriend at the time and my family and my dad recommended that maybe I go see a therapist about everything that was happening. And in the room with the therapist, I remember just leaving and feeling so safe and so non-judged and so validated and heard. I felt heard for one of the first times in my life talking about a lot of what I'm talking to you about. And it just felt so empowering. It just felt, you know, it's the first time I really talked about any of my stuff, any of my past. And to have someone there listen and, you know, make me feel that I wasn't crazy and that, um, you know, they want to listen to my story just filled me up completely. And and is the reason why I became a therapist in those sessions. Uh, we were talking about, you know, work and I was doing DVD marketing at the time and wasn't really happy with it. And she's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to sit in that chair. <laughs> you know, I loved it so much being a client that I thought that, you know, being on the other side and having that experience would just be amazing. How long have you been licensed? Uh, I got licensed in April. Oh, dude. Yeah. High five. Thank you. Thank you. That's it, awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, a huge accomplishment. What was the reason that you went to therapy as a as a kid? As a kid, um, so as did you ask or did they send you? My parents eventually sent me to therapy um, when I was twelve years old. Um, it was my last year in Little League, and it was you know that's when things really took up a notch with my dad and myself. Uh, before the season started, they came up with some rule where my dad couldn't be the coach of our team. I don't know exactly, but you know we were winning, we were we were doing well, and it just became very political. And they didn't want anything; they didn't want my dad any part of it. Was your dad hard on other kids in no. the team? No, just you, just me. Um, and so that really fueled his competitive spirit. He really wanted to. Um, he wanted me to, you know, lead the charge and, and get back at them, I think, in some way. Um, and what happened was is that things got so intense, and there was also this um, expectation of making the all-star team, and Encino Baseball had a great all-star team, and this was the culmination of all our work, and it was going to be recognized on a, on a huge stage. And I was the oldest kid in, you know, in this league. I was part of the 12-year-olds. Um, and it didn't happen. I just completely, you know, mentally was not confident. I was scared. I was just, you know, I had a decent year, but I didn't have an all-star year. And there's also some politics that were involved and I didn't make the team. And at some point I just wasn't talking to my parents and, um, they decided that they, they, I needed help. You know, I'm so grateful that they had this awareness that there wasn't something right in our relationship and it was out of their scope and they sought off someone else. And, uh, they put me in therapy, and I don't think I was in there very long. I don't remember a ton of it, uh, maybe a couple months. But I probably was the worst client that that therapist had <laughs> ever had. You know, I didn't say anything. Did I, they at least give you a trophy? Yeah, a trophy at the end is just a kid with his shoulders slumped. Yes, something you know, right? <laughs> worst client ever. Yes. Well, you know that as you describe that, I just think that speaks to the power of you know, whatever sickness you want to call it that your dad had inside him or insecurity um, or fear or worry, whatever, that he could be aware mm -hmm. that his child needs something, but not to be able to give it to you because of the fear that you weren't going to be enough. Did he 
ever say why he thought you needed to be better? Was there hopes that you would get a scholarship and college would be paid for, or no, no, you'd you be know, more popular? What, what, what was the motivation? Was he just trying to relive his frustration through you? No, you know what? I, what I think it is is that um, he saw my vulnerability, and I think it really scared him, and. And he wanted me to be a strong man that could take care of himself and handle this world. And I think he was trying to prepare me for that because he went through some serious stuff as a kid and um, had to man up at a very young age and maybe didn't get a chance to be a kid entirely in his childhood and um, and was afraid that I wouldn't you know, live up to that and have that and be my own you know, confident self. And I think he really wanted me to to have that experience and not be, you know, you know, have these experiences of life that just kind of overwhelm you and take take you. Know, I don't know. So kind of like baseball was the template for the real world out there, and you, yes, you better you better get put your big boy pants on. Yes, because it's going to get real. Yes, and I had a different path than him. You know, I'm I'm just a different person than him. My sister and my dad are so alike. And I handle stuff like my mom, and it just, um, it really triggered him tremendously. What do you think your dad's, well, let me ask you this. Um, What did your dad experience that was so difficult where he had to grow up kind of fast? Um, If you're comfortable sharing it. Yeah. Um, My dad's dad had a heart attack when he was 20. Um, and his parents were immigrants. So, and he has an older brother that's handicapped. It was 11- other than that, <laughs> other than those minor things, yes. Jason. What did your dad have to complain <laughs> about? So he's a big baby. That's what we've yeah. we've concluded is your dad is a baby. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of trauma. <laughs> a lot of trauma. That is a lot of trauma. A lot of trauma. Uh, a lot of pent up rage, I imagine too. Yeah. Yeah, he was, you know, brought into this world to take care of his older brother who, who, who was handicapped. Um, you know, and you know, that's what the, that's the reason why they had another kid was, you know, for my dad to, to be that person when my grandmother and grandfather weren't there any longer to, to watch out for, you know, and make sure that he was taken care of. So being brought into this world was a huge responsibility at a, you know, at a very young age of, you know, we, you know, we, you need to watch out for your older brother. And what was your dad's relationship with your grandmother like? Oh, so close. Yeah. My dad is so was so in, close in a in a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, I I don't know if there was enmeshment or or you know just because I was so young, but he was so mindful and so into family and and calling every day and just making sure that she was taken care of and mm. that she was safe. And same with my my uncle. Same thing. You yeah. know, just um, you know. So so loving. My dad sounds way. like a really good scared guy. Yeah, my yeah my dad he's 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 brilliant too. He's he's a brilliant guy and very successful and um, retired at a very early age and really smart and gives great advice and uh, has a lot to offer. You yeah. Know. Have you ever talked with him about this stuff or do your discussions never really get too emotional? Yeah, I have. Yeah, you know and. And since I've been, you know, since I started this process of being a therapist and um, being my own therapy has really, um, you know, has opened that door. Excuse me. Um, you know, it 
it's it's still slow. There's still a lot more to be talked about. Um, but you know, he you know he wants to help. He wants to talk about things. Um, as he's gotten older, he's he's had more of a spiritual side and. Um, it, I think at this point, it's really me that's holding back. You know, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, you know, to go there. There's, there's so much unconscious, you know, stuff that's blocking me to kind of go into that place. I'm probably scared of what it's going to feel like and to be that sad and to have that connection. Um, you know, so it's, the door is open. It's just a matter of me walking through it. Can you be more specific about what your, uh, afraid of in connecting with your dad or getting honest is it that you're afraid what you're going to feel or you're afraid that Mm. he's going to feel um pain and sadness and to realize that he let you down in so many ways yeah i I think you're right i think there is a part where i'm um, i'm I'm asking you i'm not i'm I'm not telling you what i think my no but i think you're right i'm telling you (laughs) okay (laughs) um no i I think there's a part where i'm really afraid that i'm going to hurt him you know i don't i don't want to hurt him uh, there's so much that was so long ago that he can't do anything about. It's really my journey now to repair myself and to parent myself. And I'm afraid that, you know, he's going to be, you know, that he'll have to feel that pain. And then I'm also afraid, I think, of um, opening myself up and being vulnerable and and not being seen and not being heard. and Maybe just getting re-injured again. And being re-injured. You know, it's the original sin. Why would I go back and, you know, play that, that game yeah. again? Um, because I know how hard, how much it hurt and yeah. and I know what it felt like. And, and yeah, you know, one of the things as a kid, I wasn't allowed to, I was always told I wasn't expressing myself and that I don't know how to communicate. I need to communicate my feelings. And even as an adult now, when I talk about feelings, I'm always like, am I communicating properly? I like judge myself on that, mm-hmm. on that way. Um, so maybe there's some just fear of just not communicating, not being good enough in my communication. It's it's hard to open up around people that we have a history of not feeling safe around. Yeah. It's really fucking scary. It is. You know, I'm scared of my mom who's an 85-year-old woman. Yeah. I'm I'm scared of the volatility, you know. Obviously, I'm not scared that she's going to do something physically or that she's going to yell at me. I'm just a, a, there's just a nebulous fear of um it's almost like a a like the 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 truth is a f- is a fox and it's just a tedious fox hunt to mm-hmm. to go on to try to um get somewhere in terms of connecting because if there's not a shared truth it's so hard to connect with somebody when yeah. you're both have two truths that are really on opposite sides it's uh and and you're dealing with somebody who doggedly holds on to their idea uh-huh. of what a truth is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more uh, filled with dread than it is fear. Yeah. It's just dread. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that that little kid shows up. You know, we fall back into that pattern of being that little kid in our family. And, you know, we forget that there's an adult, you know, there's adult Jason and who can advocate for himself. Yes. That has a voice and can be heard and can handle things and set boundaries and give consequences. And yes. Yeah. All those things that they should teach in first fucking grade. Yeah. You know, you bring up a great point is, you know, being a therapist and I actually work at a school too of, wow, like where do you, you know, wouldn't it be great if these skills were taught, you know, in school in some level, 
I, um, I had this great opportunity this last week where I taught an anxiety management class to two 10th grade um, classes at a local high school. And I was just like, is there anxiety in high school? No, none, <laughs> none. There's nothing, you they're know. Very laid back. Yeah, everyone's, you know, no one wants to fit in. And comfortable with wherever their popularity totally. is no, and no, disinterested in their phones. Yeah, no no pressure, you know. <laughs> I say as if I'm not addicted to my phone. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, but yeah, I had this great opportunity to teach about anxiety and how to manage that. And, you know, I was telling the, the person that's teaching the class, I'm like, this is so cool. This is so great. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, because if we don't get it from our parents, where are we going to get it from? You know, and these are things, you know, we learned so much stuff in school that we never use, but this is something that I could use for the rest of my life. You know, something that it's going to come up every day, every day, a lot more valuable than algebra. Yes. I've used algebra once since I took it once and it was five years ago. I, um, I do some tutoring also and I have a 10th grade student. He's taking chemistry and I was just like, Oh my God, this is a different language. Like you have to sit with this every day in class and learn this totally different language. I'm like, how did I do it? How did we all do it? I don't know. I don't know. I guess we had more mental energy then. Um, I got asked a question by, um, uh, I'm going to be doing a Skype session with some, some high school kids about mental illness. And one of the questions that they've posed to me that I haven't answered yet is what's the difference between how do you know if what you're experiencing is mental illness or just being a teenager? Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is a great question. It's a really good question. Uh, and then I called him an idiot. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to call him an idiot yet. I will. when I And there's nothing I enjoy more than demeaning people on Skype. <laughs> uh, especially teenagers. Especially teenagers, because yes. you get to see uh, them leave the yeah. screen in <laughs> sadness. Um and I thought that's a great question. I I don't know th- really the answer to that. I I have a couple of thoughts, but what are your what are your thoughts? My thoughts are if it's you know you know say let's say anxiety. You know we are, there's there's the normal anxiety that we experience being a teenager, um, or just being in our bodies, um, just showing up every day. Um, but I think it if it's crossing that point where it's really hurting your functioning to the place where you can't. You don't want to get out of bed or you don't want to go to school or or you can't go to that party or you're just at a place where you can't manage it on your own anymore. That's that's when I really think, oh, you know what? You need some extra help. You need to talk to a counselor. You need to talk to a teacher. You need to talk to your parents and try to figure out, you know, what's kind of happening here and what steps you can take. So um, do you think it would also be fair to say that non-mental illness anxiety would be something that kind of comes and goes, isn't debilitating, mm-hmm. um, tends to be much more related to uh, an event that's stressful mm-hmm. or leading up to something that yeah. is potentially stressful as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, um, I don't understand why I'm feeling so so anxious. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, I, to me, I think a red flag would be is you're just f- feeling a sense of fear and dread, but you can't pinpoint exactly what what it is i don't know it's a, it's a hard question to yeah and, and i think it's you know every case is is different you know i think what's happening in in every in that person's life what you know how much stuff do they have on their plate what's the pressure from their parents you know there's just so much that's going on that 
um, you know, you have to, you have to sit with someone, you know, I, I hate making a diagnosis, you know, at all at sometimes, but it, it takes a while to really understand what's going with, on with someone until you actually sit with them hour after hour and really understand who they are and what's happening in their lives. And, and ultimately, it doesn't matter whether it's a mental illness or you're just experiencing teenage anxiety. Both help to, to talk to somebody yeah. about both. Totally. Uh, it's awesome to get tools to deal with. Yeah stuff for the for the future i think the yeah uh, you're exactly right the 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 category the category categorization of it is the least important correct uh, part yeah yeah it's you know it's like it's hard being a teen and there's so much going on and everyone needs to kind of you know i think you're right like taking that step and like going and getting help is such great tools to have you know what a gift uh, when I work with parents at the school, there's always so much shame about, you know, maybe their kid needing help, maybe getting testing, getting therapy. And I'm, I always say it's such a gift. You're giving them these tools. This is their stuff. And they're, yeah, they're, you know, in third grade and they're having to deal with it now. But wow, like, you know, by, you know, I started dealing it with when I was in my 30s. You know, you're going to get ahead of the game. They're going to be able to, to know what their stuff is and understand what triggers them and know what tools they can put in place. So it's such a gift to kind of, you know, start earlier. Yeah. Than later. It's like going to science camp, but for your soul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what would, what, what advice would you give to a kid who's in high school that's listening who doesn't feel like they can go to their parents? Uh, you know, who doesn't want to call child protective services, mm -hmm. but um, there's just a, a situation where they're, they just feel uh, hopeless and uh, they just don't feel safe in their, in their house. And maybe they just want to talk to somebody about it mm -hmm. um, or just unseen and unheard in their yeah. house. And it's just, it's killing them. Yeah. Um, my advice would be to, to keep reaching out, you know, to who? Um, you know, it's got to be someone that they trust and whether it be a teacher, a counselor, or, you know, even, random man on the internet no. in a chat room. No, that would not no? be <laughs> no? appropriate. No, no random guys. I don't know, Jason. I think you're, I think you're being awful picky. <laughs> yeah. I think a guy with a mountain man beard who is, uh, in his cabin <laughs> with greasy glasses <laughs> I think that's a person who's going to hold a safe space. Yeah. Um, another thought I think of is uh, Teen Line. There's a there's a um, organization where you could talk to other teens that are trained that go through this process. Really? Yeah. Was it TeenLine.org? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you can look it up. I don't know exactly what the the number is, but they definitely have a website. They're based here in LA in Cedars. Uh, Sinai and they, they have um, other therapists that are there with them in case things get too big and they can't oh, that's handle awesome. it. Yeah, so and it could be anonymous and you just talk to another teen about what's going on in your life and you have someone there to, to listen to you. Uh, a great resource, uh, an index of resources to go check out too is helpguide.org. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a huge, huge listing of every conceivable support group or helpline. So uh, maybe that would be another... My heart always breaks when I get an email from a from a kid who's got another three or four years to do in their in their home oh. or financially, you know, maybe they're 19, 20, 25 still living at home. and they still live at home because, yeah. you know, who who, the, who can live on their own uh, with a minimum wage job or just in this job market? Totally. Um, 
and and they're in a toxic environment. Yeah. I, uh, my heart my heart goes out to them. Uh, what else would you like to uh, to to talk about? Any other parts of your story? Did we did we miss something? I feel like we skipped ahead to touch on something, and then we were going to go back and get something, and now I I lost it. Um, yeah, you know, um, I'll kind of complete the the story of what happened after going to therapy and. Um, you know, after, after going to therapy, um, you talking about the, when you were a kid or as an adult, as a kid, um, there was a final session with the family. I don't think my sister was there and we kind of had a, a family session and we were talking and I remember my dad saying that, you know, I don't think Jason's going to be a professional baseball player. And, and my heart just sank at that moment. Um, but at some point the therapist must've told my dad that he needed to back off. And it was your dad in the room. I don't think so. I, I don't think I was in the room. Okay. I think I must have left the room because my dad did back off. Things took a, a total change mm. at that point where after after Little League, my dad wasn't involved in my athletic you know, career pretty much at all to the point where we didn't practice anymore and he very rarely showed up to games. And when I did show, when the game was over, he asked me how I did and that's kind of how it ended and we really didn't have any discussion about it. And I don't think there was ever a discussion about the change in um, us, um, you know, of us practicing together. It was just, um, it was just, I remember being like, waiting for the reaction and being like, what's going on here? Like, so your dad would say, uh, how did you let me down this time? <laughs> and then beat me with a baseball bat. Yeah. <laughs> and you would have to diagram where on the field you failed. Yeah. I would have to come up with PowerPoint presentations about everything that I did wrong. Just so we would always have it. And, uh, and so then we're agreed son that you are a weak little man. Let's yes. go get a cheeseburger. Yes. We, we just, we just, it just became accepted. Yeah. Um, so then what's the next? So, yeah, you know, my, my baseball career, um, continued. I eventually played high school ball and, um, but did it feel different without your dad? Hovering? Yeah. It, it's, was there enjoyment? No. No, there were, Why did you continue doing it? You know, I didn't have the strength to say, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I was so afraid of, you know, disappointing him. You know, I just didn't... I didn't did he come to your games? You know what? I, I remember Pony League, him coming. I don't know about in high school. I, you know, especially on varsity. I, I was thinking about this the other day. If, I would have remembered, I think. You know, maybe my mom showed up, but I don't know how many games my dad came to. And did uh, you pitch? I didn't. I um I wasn't I was a skinny little kid and I would have gotten crushed in high school. Um I played second base. Um my junior year I was on the varsity team and um what continued was my dad my dad eventually bought a, a batting cage. So uh when I was eighth when in eighth grade we, we bought a batting cage and we moved out to Agura and um and within the batting cage was um there was coaches that did lessons. So there's another business within the business. And this is my dad's idea from my childhood of what a great idea. We go to the cages all the time, just be natural to have a hitting or a pitching coach here. And that's what he set up. And it was a really successful business and actually a lot of fun for me to go to this place and get to hit all the time. And I would take lessons from the guys and really connect with people mm -hmm. that love baseball as much as I love baseball. Um, 
but my junior year, I, I, I hit my peak. I was, I was hitting the shit out of the ball. And I just remember being in the zone, made the varsity team, but didn't play at all. The, the varsity coach wasn't a fan of me. Um, and then my senior. He did get your newsletter, though, which he, was ironic. Yes. Yeah. You know what? He read it on my face, probably. <laughs> he could just pick up my, my, my childhood and everything. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, and my 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 so, career eventually my career my my baseball career ended after my senior year, and I didn't make. Uh, There's some club team that happened afterwards, and uh, I was going to a junior college, and my dad's like, "Do you want to continue playing ball or you want to get a job?" And I was like, "I want to get a job." And he's like, "Okay," and that was pretty much the end of it. And thank uh, God for that therapist. Yeah, thank God for that therapist. Yeah, you know, and thank God for my parents actually, you know, listening, listening, and and putting me in that situation. You know, they really wanted what was best for me and and i got lucky i really and, did and you can't fault a parent for not knowing what they don't know yeah you know and and that's been my process is you know there was so much anger like why did this happen to me why would you do this to me and anger at my mom for not protecting me um but they just you know they knew what they knew and they were doing their best and they and they did their best and i turned out okay and i'm and I'm actually really thankful, you know, in some ways that it did happen because it led me to this point and I'm a therapist now and I love it and I love being in the room and I learned so much about myself from these experiences and I can come on a show like this and, ex and talk about it and I can talk to my clients about it and it just, you know, has given me an opportunity. It's, it's helped me find my voice and find who I am. And that's really, you know. Can you imagine somebody being a good therapist if they had never gotten in touch with the their hurt? You no, know, you know, um, I can't imagine. You know, when I talk to my clients about my own therapy or me being in, in a, you know, a, in a, a client, they're always surprised. Or and I don't really go out there and talk about it. But if it comes up in some way, um, you know, and I say like I haven't even had a client ask me that, and I said. Um, no, I can't imagine a therapist not being in their own therapy, you know, un unless they're doing something else that they're in a process of learning about themselves. But for me, I learned to become a therapist through my own therapy. I just learn about myself and I can give that right back to my clients. And, and uh, that's the part I love is that I can just continue to grow and that's going to help me and it's going to help the person sitting across from me. Yeah. Um, what are some myths about being a therapist? Some things you've discovered uh, or things you've discovered being a therapist that aren't quite like you imagined it would be before you started going to school for it? Um, if any. You know, for me, I thought I was going into becoming a therapist to help other people, which is part of it, but I didn't recognize how much I was going in to kind of help myself. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and I love being there for a client and I love you know, being mindful and doing that, you know, giving my 100% of my attention, but there's so much satisfaction of watching someone else grow and also growing in, in the process with them and learning, learning from them as much as I'm learning from, you know, about myself. I heard somebody say in a support group, um, I tell, I tell, uh, the, you know, the kids that I mentor, I tell them what to do. And if it works, then I'd try it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Totally. Sometimes my clients are ahead of me, you know, they're, they're yeah. doing something. I'm like, man, I'm not even there yet. Whoa, yeah. what's going on here? I, you know, I got to step up my game. What else would you like to talk about? Um, I think, uh, I think we, we covered everything about my, 
you know, my experience, you know, I, uh, you know, one thing I would say to parents that are, you know, have kids that are playing sports is, you know, just to, you know, let them have that experience, you know, uh, they're not there to win, you know, they're, they're there to, to have fun and winning is, it's, you know, isn't everything. Um, and just, you know, John Sullivan, who writes about this subject about youth sports says, you know, just, just say to your kids, I just love watching you play. It brings me so much joy to see you out there watching you play. And I think those words could be used in anything that a child Mm -hmm. does. You know, it really gives them, um, this place where they don't have to have, you know, the external, um, validation that just being there and being themselves is is what you enjoy and and they'll they'll start to learn that I just have to be myself through that so what advice would you give me who at fifty plus years old still gets anxiety about winning or not winning when I play hockey and I can be aware of it mm-hmm. and say okay I'm just gonna turn the results over. It's not in my hands. I can't control what my teammates do. There's obviously some type of hole in me that I'm trying to fill or mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm going to let my teammates down. I should just try to break it down into each moment and play as best as I can. Yeah. But when that feeling is still there, mm-hmm. that I'm like, motherfucker, we're not going to win. What do I do? Why? Why? Why Why am with all the I've, stuff I've learned in therapy and support groups, mm-hmm. how can that feeling still be there? Um, well, what comes up for me is I'm, you know, I'm wondering what it feels like to lose, you know, and, and, you know, with that, maybe there's a fear of that loss and sitting with that feeling, that disappointment, um, and not wanting to, to get, to experience it. Um, it could be, you know, it sounds like it's maybe difficult and you have some rage towards it and, uh, you know, people don't like to lose, but we don't want to feel that, that feeling of, you know, not being good enough or whatever it may be for you. And so the, the alternative is winning and, you know, it feels good to win and having to sit with that other feeling, you know, maybe is bringing up something for you that you don't want to experience. Yeah. I, I think it might be. Not so much that I lost, but that I missed out on the feeling of, of winning, being good enough, uh-huh. that I did a good enough job. Yeah. I succeeded, uh-huh. you know, that because if I had been horrible, there's a chance my team wouldn't have won. But if we won, obviously, I played well enough. Right. I didn't I didn't drag us down. Right. And then the question becomes, well, what the fuck am I so worried? These guys like me whether I play mm-hmm. well or not. I've been playing with them for 15 years. Right. We hang out outside of the games. It it's just it's tiring. It's mm-hmm. like a it's like a um it's just an issue that's doggedly uh, still still with me and it varies from night to night, but it's it's something that I'm a little embarrassed that it's still mm-hmm. i can have that much um desire to win mm-hmm. i think it's healthy to have a desire to play well because yeah. you have control over how hard you're going to exert yourself how focused you're going to be um but well, well what was coming up for me too is maybe the connection the loss of connection if i'm not good enough if i don't perform then the guys are going to start to talk and there's going to be a conspiracy yeah. and i'm going to they're going to get rid of me and i'm going to lose this part of my life that I really enjoy. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. That 
Yeah, because we had a guy on one of our previous teams who was 54, 55, maybe even 56 years old. And he might have been good in his day, but he just couldn't keep up anymore. Right. And we would be like, uh, Time such to take him out such, to the barn and yeah, put him down. Put him down. <laughs> such and such showed up. And none of us ever said anything mean to his face. But when he retired from our team, we were all sadly happy uh-huh. that that we were more competitive without him. And it's uh-huh. not like we were great buddies with this guy. Right. If, if, if we were all tight with him and had a personal connection, we'd have been like, no, I'll come out and play. Yeah. It's, but I think maybe it's a, that I'm afraid I'm going to become that guy. That, yeah. Psh, Your turn is going to come up. Yeah. Paul's lost it. Yeah. Don't pass in the puck. He showed up. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about how great sports are, you know, and how great it's been for me. It sounds like for you, like, you know, it's, you know, I'm I'm so thankful that I had that experience. I mean, for me, sports has connected me with all my friends in my life where, um, you know, in grade school, I'd be out there playing three on three with my best buddies in basketball and um, so much laughter. Oh, yeah. And such good times and being competitive and just the connection. It's it's a guy thing to connect on sports. And, you know, even in high school, I started when I started high school, I was new to the school and didn't know anybody or, you know, didn't connect with anyone until basketball season started. And even in college, all my best friends, you know, I played ball with all the time. And um, it's just given me, you know, I don't know how, what I would have done. I don't know how I would have made friends. I mean, I would have made friends, but it just opened that door so easily for me. So yeah. there's something so beautiful about a common cause, you know, whether it's sports yeah. or so. And, you know, any kid out there listening, if sports aren't your thing, you know, maybe join some collective, some group, some club um, and find that i imagine a lot of kids get it from online gaming when you do the yeah co- cooperative totally mode. you know what a great opportunity that you know it's so isolating you know maybe when we were kids just playing in front of the nintendo set but now you could actually talk to people and have interaction yeah. and, and you know i i know people that um you know were gamers and they made friends and lived with those guys and you know and actually developed a relationship and you know which is really cool uh, are you comfortable giving out any, if people want to contact you? Yeah. Um, you could check me out on my website, which is www.jasonikovitzmft.com. And my last name is spelled I-C-K-O-V-I-T-Z. And I really enjoy working with teens and adults and couples. That's kind of where I specialize cool. in. Well, I'm really glad that uh, you came in and we got to talk about this this topic that is, yeah. uh, I think, so important and so widespread, but so rarely discussed. discussed in a way that's nuanced and detailed. Yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it's something that isn't very public, and it definitely happens in just you know in, in people's homes all the time. Yeah, and, you know, you just don't know what's going on. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here. Well, I really, really enjoyed uh, talking to. To Jason, such an easy guy to uh, to talk to, and uh, like I said, I bet he makes a, a great therapist. Um, before I take it out with some surveys, uh, I wanted to again uh, give a uh, uh, some love to our sponsor, the uh, Out of the Darkness Chicagoland Community Walk. 
Um, according to the CDC, after cancer and heart disease, suicide accounts for more years of lost life than any other cause of death. Yet suicide prevention research remains significantly underfunded, and you can help change that. Donate to the nation's largest suicide prevention event, the Out of the Darkness Chicagoland Community Walk at uh, chicagowalk.org. The Out of the Darkness Chicagoland Community Walk benefits the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, a four-star rated nonprofit by Charity Navigator. And your donation to chicagowalk.org is tax-deductible and greatly appreciated. So uh, please give today. And just just some reminders about how serious of a, um, uh, of a topic this is in terms of numbers. Um, there is one suicide every 13 minutes in the U.S. 38,000 people a year take their lives. And the thing that is really great about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention is um, they have tools to help people cope so that suicide isn't uh, a viable option for them. Uh, they have resources. Uh, they have uh people that work on public policy to help advocate for mental health. Uh, they have education and training. And really, really important, uh, important thing they have as well is they have support for loved ones um, of someone who has taken their life. And because the people who are left, as you know, if you've listened to the, the episode that we did um, with uh, my guest, um, oh God, why am I blanking on her name? Um whose daughter took her her own life, uh, you would know that the the pain that is left in the wake of the person um, who takes their life is very significant, and they need as much uh, as much support as as possible. Um, Lisa is uh, the woman whose name I was thinking of. Um, that that's a Lisa Richards. Is that right? Is that the right last name? Oh God, my golden years are going to be such a mess. It is just going to be me. <laughs> Leaving the house without pants. Uh, thinking I'm drinking coffee uh, when it's a flower pot. Uh, <laughs> driving up onto the sidewalk. I don't, I don't even I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Let's get to the let's get to the surveys. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey. This is filled out by a uh, woman who calls herself halfway between the gutter and my scars about her depression. Dysthymia is like drowning on a crowded beach. My symptoms mimic normal behavior just before I go under. About her dermatillomania. Alice got stuck in the looking glass and all she can find are more flaws to fix. Snapshot from her life. Dermatillomania dominates my existence. I am entranced by my own ability to simultaneously feel like I am fixing myself while causing further damage. The only thing that can combat the blind panic I feel when I look at my own face is spending hours making it bleed. That is deep. That is deep. This is the same survey filled out by Keisha, um, or maybe it's pronounced Keisha, um, about her depression, she writes, uh, Why go make something of myself when I'm just going to rot in the earth for eternity? I am nothing. Boy, I, uh, although I, I don't relate to the feeling that I am nothing, uh, that first part really rung my bell. Where I'm like, what is, when I'm depressed, it's like, what is the point? Um, 
about her sex addiction. I want to get older men hard and have them fuck me until I can't breathe, even though I have a partner. About her codependency, I will try to stop being clingy, but if you go to the store to get milk, I will sit in fear that you've been killed. Snapshot from her life. I'm sick of wearing wigs and hats, so I brave a room with my shining bald head. No one can take their eyes off the woman who is exposing her private part, her scalp. She's not thin. Her eyebrows are drawn on crooked. So I just smile, get home, and binge and purge until I hate myself as much as they hate me. Well, I doubt they hate you, but uh, that's that's how uh, mental health or lack of mental health warps our opinion of what other people think of us. This is uh, filled up by a woman who calls herself bitch when I want to be. Her issues are depression and love addiction and a snapshot from her life. I make plans with friends and when it's time to get up and live and be social, I find any and every excuse to stay home in my pajamas watching TV feeling sorry for myself. It's quite disgusting. Well, if it's disgusting, then I am disgusting as well. I love, I I feel like little streamers should go off when I put my pajamas on. It is such a feeling, especially if I have time uh, to go play a civilization. It is, uh, it's like when somebody fills out a good awfulsome moment in the surveys. It is Christmas. It is Christmas. Um, I just wish it involved relating to other people. Uh This is the same survey filled out by Hannah. She's a teenager. She writes about her anxiety. There's a gnarled hand that grows up from my stomach like a tree and wraps its fingers around my heart until the pain is so severe I have a panic attack. A snapshot from her life. I'm walking down the school hallway with every muscle in my body tensed with a desire to not exist. Angry fists hidden behind my back. Nails digging red crescent moons into my palms. My breath is shallow and controlled. My head is down. I must look like a lunatic to all my peers, but I keep the tension in my body for fear that the anger is the only thing keeping me together. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. This is filled out by a guy who calls himself Jeem, and uh, he writes, I disassociate and eat. In the past week, I've survived almost exclusively off of pizza and ice cream. It feels like going into a trance. My body feels horrible from the sheer volume of food and all the sodium and sugar, but honestly, the discomfort from the binges feel about 5% as bad as the other seemingly incessant pain. Snapshot from his life. I very frequently panic and leave work early. I usually leave because I fear that I'm going to start crying publicly, which I imagine would be hard to recover from professionally. I'm supposed to be working 40 hours a week, and I will occasionally uh, only be in the office for less than 20. I'm not very closely supervised, so I have no idea if anyone has noticed this behavior. Yesterday, I didn't come in at all. If anyone asks, I just say, yes, I was working from home. Leaving work early fixes the anxiety in the short term, but causes its own long-term anxiety. I generally cave and opt for the short-term fix. Weekends are never long enough. Boy, you hit the nail right on the head. The the long-term effects that the short-term fix creates... Um, Boy, that is just the, uh, that is it in a nutshell. These are uh, from a love-off I did on, uh, I think it was on Facebook. 
Hillary writes, I love the smell of frost melting in the sun on a cold spring morning. That is a great one. I love that when you just start to smell the earth again after four months of the ground being frozen. Uh, Mark writes, I love the moment in jujitsu right before you cinch in a, in a submission and you know you have it. Uh, Megan writes, I love how the scent of lilac blends into the night air after a good rain. Yeah, we get that, uh, the smell of orange blossoms in our backyard in the winter at night, and it's just so good. Uh, Josh writes, I love that giddy feeling when you're about to see someone you like a lot. Oh, I get that feeling right before I go to my support groups. I just love it. I love it. Um, Lynn writes, I love when my little granddaughter runs to me with her arms out. Yeah, that might be my, fam- my favorite thing about, uh, about little kids. This is a shame and secret survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Invisibeth. And she is straight in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Uh, she was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, she writes... Uh, I was raped by my boyfriend at 16. He shoved a dirty sock in my mouth and stabbed me six times with a pen knife. A friend of mine walked in during the act and did nothing. She walked out. A few months later, as I was in treatment for an eating disorder, I opened up to my mother about it in a group setting. She said, whatever, it happens to everyone, get over it. Sounds like a solid mom. She sounds, uh, <laughs> unfucking believable uh she's been emotionally abused yeah i think that's clear she writes both my parents were narcissists and alcoholics but mostly i was always looking for my mother's love um darkest thoughts i used to walk really far behind my parents as a child looking for a new family i want a do-over i want a chance not to be sick abused and broken i want to love myself and fall in love with someone else well i think to do the latter you got to do the former first um because if we don't love ourselves, we're either going to push that other person away or drain them. Uh, darkest secrets. I lie about having cancer. It seems the only way I can explain how debilitating my mental health issues are. It's okay if I can't get out of bed because I don't feel well this way. That That is so true. That is so true. So many of us wish we had a, a visible ailment that we could point to so that we wouldn't have to worry that people don't believe us or end the voice in our head that tells us we're making it up we're just lazy Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you i have a rape fantasy often i'm disgusted with myself and the way i use sex as a device to feel whole you shouldn't you should not feel uh disgusted about yourself for having that fantasy it's just a fantasy and that's that's how our brain processes things and uh fantasies don't hurt anybody Uh, what if anything we'd like to say to someone you haven't been able to I am so sorry for lying what if anything do you wish for solace and inner peace have you shared these things with others no with others no I am ashamed how do you feel after reading writing these things down I am ashamed you should not feel ashamed at all at all you you have you have been through an emotional desert and you deserve people that will give you the compassion and the love that you deserve. I highly recommend uh, contacting a um, organization like Rape and Incest National Network and uh, surround yourself with some people who are the opposite of your mom. Uh, these are some more of the love off 
Casey writes, I love walking into the coffee shop and seeing my favorite barista. I love going into my favorite coffee place and they just look at me and they say the usual. I love that. Art writes, I also love when I can make jokes out of trauma to my friends and coworkers. For one of my jobs, I work at a restaurant making pizzas and when I pull them out of the oven, I'll say, coming out hot, coming out hot to my dad. Just kidding. I don't have a dad. Uh, Art also writes, I love it when I have unexpected friends waiting for me to come home from a long day. Oh, that's nice. Lexi writes, I love that feeling I get after I know I've accomplished a personal goal for the day. That must be nice. I would like to, I would like to experience that someday. <laughs> Shane writes, I love when I actually feel rested after sleep. Basically, whenever my mind and body does what it quote should do, I'm pretty happy. I had a couple of moments of that, um, where, uh, it was like a two-hour nap that I took last week, and it was just, you know that feeling where you just know it's pure, where you know that, that you were really deeply asleep. Dave writes, I love it when I lay down in bed and my cat lays on top of me. I, tr- I um, was taking a nap the other day, and as I kind of woke up, I turned onto my side, and Herbert's nose was right there. And I know he wanted food, and that's why he was excited. But in my mind, he was excited that that I was awake because he loves me. And I, I just, it made me so happy. This is a uh, struggle in a sentence filled out by a, a teenager. She calls herself funny fake name. About her anxiety, she writes, like I'm constantly afraid of dying and looking forward to it. That's a good one. Uh, snapshot from her life when I'm trying to fall asleep I'll often fantasize about being back in the hospital for some reason I've spent much of my adolescent life uh, in the hospital and I have and I have pretend conversation with friends family as if I were dying I'm not sure why fantasizing about death relaxes me but it works I've actually heard people um, uh, like meditation people uh, say to uh, imagine yourself uh, dying and to get to like a relaxed place um, because I think so often we we just think of, of our life as this list of shit we got to do and we forget that there's this other really cool part of it um, which involves playing Civilization 5 until the sun comes up oh sweet sweet stealth bomber um This is filled out by Kristen and about her depression. She writes, being a ghost of myself, being despondent and removed from myself, having a constant heartache. Oh, the emptiness. Yeah, the emptiness. That just empty feeling in your heart. Um, Sometimes when I'm depressed, I feel like whatever energy your body produces to move your facial muscles it feels like that part gets disconnected and like my face is made of stone. Um, about her anxiety, she writes, nausea and panic that you can't logically explain. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself everybody's butt monkey. About her depression. Depression is even more debilitating when you're living paycheck to paycheck because when you finally feel like doing something that might help you get better, chances are you can't afford it. 
about her anxiety. I can read home invasion stories until late at night, but I can't bring myself to look at my grades for my grad classes, even when I know they're A's. Oh, God, isn't that funny? Anxiety is so funny. Um, and then uh, imposter syndrome. She writes, therapy is for people with real problems, not a girl from a happy home who has no willpower. That is the lie. That is the lie that mental illness and addiction tell you is that it's about willpower. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Just Be Quiet about her depression. Uh, Like the butterflies that once flew inside my stomach have died and turned into rocks. About her anxiety. Cinder blocks sitting on my chest whenever I try to do anything outside my usual schedule. I get freaked out when my normal schedule gets off off track. Um, About her anorexia. If I can get small enough, maybe I can just disappear about her PTSD. As long as I stay disconnected from the world and my feelings and memories, I'm fine, right? And about suicidal thoughts. I lost my pack of cigarettes. Might as well jump in front of a train. This is a snapshot. Um, Or is this from that same person? No. Sorry. more uh, from the love off Roger writes I love standing out in the summer rain and not caring if the neighbors see me that's a great one uh, Marsha writes I love finding fresh cherries in the grocery store I love I, I love after you've gone through the labor of taking all the pits out of a bowl of cherries and you just get to eat them like on a bowl of uh, bowl of cereal oh that is so good Angie writes I love it when I wake up with my cat spooned up against me there's just something so great about having having an animal, an animal's body against yours. This is from the survey, uh, Sexual Abuse or Violation of Young Male by Older Female. I don't think the name of that survey is, uh, is uh, specific enough. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself Beauty and the Best. She's uh, straight. She's in her 20s. Raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um, She was the victim of uh, some stuff happened, but she doesn't know if it counts. Uh, She writes, my step-cousin touched me when I was five. He was 10 or 11. Um, That's why he was living with us, even though he's pretty distantly related to me and never talk about it. I was also forced to give a guy a hand job when I was 14. He was 16. She writes, I'm 21 now and I've always liked younger guys. Being 21, younger guys are typically underage. I don't think my fantasies are necessarily weird or abnormal. I think they're completely normal sexual fantasies. Like I like um, bother being dominated or dominating the guy. I think there's a typo in there. I like rough sex. I like slow sex. I've only ever had sex with someone who was younger once. I was 20 and he was 18. Years earlier, we actually dated. I was 17 and he was 14, turning 15. Everyone made jokes about us and we eventually broke up for other reasons. I tried dating older people, but I can't get over the fact that I like younger guys. I'm scared that my desires are going to get me in trouble one day. I'm afraid that I'll date someone who's 16 or 17 and go to jail for stat rape or something life-changing like that. 
Uh, I haven't told anyone my fantasies or the fact that I like younger guys. I feel like it's not normal and people will think I'm weird for it. Every time I think about telling my close friends, I remember the ridicule from when I dated a 14-year-old and I stopped thinking about it. I feel really sad and helpless a lot. I don't think I'll ever be attracted to older people. I feel a lot of shame, like I won't tell my friends that I'm dating someone younger. I'll keep the relationship secret or I'll just lie about the other person's age. Um, yeah, that's that's. Uh, I think that's basically what I... Thank you for sharing that. This is um, an awfulsome moment, and this is filled out by... This is actually... I think this is a happy moment more than an awfulsome moment. This one made me smile. Um, She calls herself Solitary Siren. I believe we've read surveys of her before. She writes, I took my husband to a therapist appointment so that we could discuss ways that he could support me during travel-induced panic attacks. I told him that, although he is very mellow and accommodating to my need to stop or take over driving or just turn around and go home, it might help more if he pushed me a little bit and encouraged me to keep going. As we were walking out the door, my therapist says, yeah, you could go for a mock drive and practice. And my husband looks at me and replies, okay, you drive and I'll mock. I truly love this guy. That's awesome. He sounds like a, like a keeper. This is a shame and secret survey. This is filled out by a um, woman who calls herself Kleptos Without Borders. She's straight in her 20s, raised in a uh, slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, She's never been sexually abused, uh, but she has been physically and emotionally. Uh, Darkest thoughts. At times, I've wished my whole family would die. That way, I could be free of them and not have to worry about disappointing them. In time, I've realized that these are the result of severe familial enmeshment that has left me feeling like I have no identity without them. Darkest secrets. So today, I was leaving my local pharmacy after buying an energy drink, and some guy follows me out the door and stops me. He opens up his wallet to show his ID and tells me that he is store security and is wondering if I have anything in my purse that I shouldn't have. I stare him straight in the eyes, a bewildered expression on my face. Not even a little. I slightly tip my purse ajar to prove my point. I have absolutely nothing to hide. He backs off and says, okay then, just making sure. I go to my car, my heart racing. I can't believe that just happened. The irony? I was in that store and I had considered stealing a bright blue mascara. I came back to it twice before deciding against it and went to get what I originally came for. The reason I didn't, right before entering the pharmacy while sitting in my car, I decided that my life is fucked up enough as it is, and starting from today, I was going to truly attempt to work on being financially responsible and mentally healthy on a regular basis. I decided today is my lucky day, and I'm not putting up with my bullshit habits anymore. And so, with that attitude in mind... I went to get my last energy drink, a symbol of my change. The honest truth is, I've been on a stealing bender for a couple of weeks now. Headbands, t-shirts, earrings, necklaces, phone charges. I can't even keep track of how many things I've stolen yesterday, let alone the past couple of weeks. Probably over a hundred. My dad growing up was a secret kleptomaniac and my mom only found out because she heard the message on the answering machine about his court-mandated uh 
why stealing is bad group meetings. He had gotten in trouble over a screwdriver that he got from Home Depot. I vowed back then to never become like him, and I was the sort of kid that felt guilt over accidentally taking a kid's pencil at school. I ended up at a really terrible job about two years ago where I was treated like absolute crap for minimum wage, and one day I didn't have enough money for gas, so I manipulated the till so that I could take $11 out. It was an absolute rush, and I started doing it about once a week, just as a nice fuck you to my bosses. No one ever found out. I feel so ashamed of myself today. I know that there was some sort of compulsion behind what I was doing, but you know, I realize it's really not worth it. These are just things. They are meaningless in the long run, and the risk to my reputation is just not worth it anymore. The feeling that I could have been caught today had I not listened to my gut is just terrifying. Today is my lucky day, so I think I might just go and buy that lottery ticket I was planning to get. I say you steal the lottery ticket, but that's just me. Thank you for sharing that. All, uh, all, all kidding aside, um, I love I love when um, I get a survey that um, describes the emotional process of a compulsive behavior that somebody is engaging in. So thank you so much for for that. Um, I think that's all I wanted to read from, yeah. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence, filled out by a uh, woman who calls herself far and tethered about her depression, like I've let everyone down by not being able to be happy or react to things normally. Oh my God, do I relate to that one. It is so spot on. Thank you for that. When you guys are able to really describe a struggle it is uh it is so comforting it is so comforting to me this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself nauseating reflection uh she's straight in her 20s raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment she was a victim of sexual abuse and never reported it uh she writes my sister took advantage of me when i was a child um maybe raped me for many years uh be- because it wasn't uh, penis vagina I had no clue if it was if it was as bad um, I never felt like my family loved she's been emotionally abused I never felt like my family loved me growing up neglected by my father mother worked constantly sister constantly saying uh, shooting me down saying that I was dumb that no one would love me because I'm fat any positive experiences with your abusers uh, my sister has harmed me more than anyone else in my life, yet she loves me tremendously, and I know that. God, isn't that the fucked up thing about abusers, especially family members when they when they abuse us? It is so, I was just today, I was just, felt this just empty pain that I don't have contact with my mom, even though I know she's toxic. It just hurts. It just hurts. And a lot of that hurt comes from knowing that she hurts and that she probably can't see why I have to not have contact with her. Anyway, darkest thoughts. I think that I am a short, fat, dark brute. And I think about what it would be like uh, to be something, anything else, to have hair that flowed, to have an hourglass figure. This sounds so fucking stupid. No, it doesn't. Darkest Secrets. I remember pretty vividly what it was like going down on my sister. I'm disgusted. 
you know, I don't think anybody looks back on incest and goes, yay. <laughs> so you're not alone in that one. You are not alone in that one. Um, yeah. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I sometimes fantasize about going down on women. I feel pretty disgusting for having shared this. I'm afraid it's not natural, but created from the abuse I endured. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Mom, you thought it would be enough to put a roof over our heads to make sure we weren't hungry to send us to school, but you didn't protect me and you didn't prepare me for this world. I hate blaming you because you did what you could, but I am a failure because you never asked me if I was okay. Not once in my entire life. I wasn't them. Then I'm not now. What, if anything, do you wish for? I am locked in a hellish cage because of my appearance. I want to be loved for who I am. I don't want to be some kink or some oddity. I want to be seen as truly gorgeous because of the goodness I have left inside of me. I don't want to feel like I need to keep my hands visible at all times in a boutique or stay a certain distance away from white people and their children so they don't feel threatened. I want to be loved because I exist and I try to help others. Have you shared these things with others? I'm surrounded by people who don't understand or feel attacked by the issues affecting my mental health on a regular basis. I can scratch the surface, but I, but I know I'll never uh, be able to go deep. How do you feel after writing these things down? Like there's no escape from my body, how the world sees it, how I see it. Not even in my dreams can I forget. I'm cursed and trapped and unloved. Is there anything you'd like to share with somebody who shares your thoughts or experiences? I don't know how to go on living when the body I walk in is a target and all my experiences tell me I'm worthless and a failure, but I think it's possible that if I fight every day, maybe there will be answers. There will be, and it's not easy, but it is worth it, advocating for ourselves and reaching out for help. And um, uh, Any comments to make the podcast better? A lot of my issues stem from being alone due to my racial identity. You don't seem to talk about this at all, even when the Charleston shooter was captured. You focused on the mental health of the killer rather than how black people might feel, seeing that a safe space of theirs was destroyed by a hateful person. Uh, for so many black people, the church is how they get mental health. I know so many people who are kept off of the streets and had someone to talk to because of their pastors. Well, thank you for sharing um, all of that. and. Um, you know, as I said on the on the episode after after that, that um, somebody sent me an email that I that I read and um, helped open my mind uh, a little bit more. Um, but you know, I'm a work in, in progress, and and I would encourage you to remember the same that you are a work in progress. That who we are today is not who we have to be for the rest of our lives. And very often, that difference can merely be just coming to terms with who we are and accepting our flaws and our shortcomings and, and embracing them instead of wishing we were different so that people w would accept us. Um, you know, the greatest thing I've done is cutting people out of my life that don't accept me and, and surrounding myself with people who do. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Scotty, and he writes about his depression. I can usually mask my clinical depression with false but believable happiness. The real pain comes at the end of the day when I try to take that mask off. Oh, that feeling, that feeling when that mask comes off is so, I, it's like I can physically feel my head change. Um, it's, uh, it's almost like balloons that have been 
jammed, like overfilled with helium, were just bursting at my head. And when I get away from people and get into my own solitary little thing, like playing my video game, it's like the top of my head opens up and all the balloons come out. Snapshot from his life. When I set my alarm to get up early and get shit done around the house, I wake up but can't find the will to get out of bed for several hours. It's like having a huge weight that crushes body and soul. Then I have to get ready for work and nothing gets done around the house. <laughs> I sure relate to that. Um, this is the uh, same survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Clickety Pop. And uh, she writes... Uh, I'll put as many as a hundred hair clips in my hair at once and keep rearranging them until my hair falls out and my arms hurt from holding them up for hours. Um, the constant sound of unfastening and refastening hair clips has earned me the nickname Clickety Pop with my boyfriend because I've actually woke him up at night because it sometimes goes on for hours, literally all night until sunrise. Um... Snapshot from her life. Sometimes when I have a stressful day or when I'm anxious or, or depressed, I'll come home and start fucking with my hair or rearranging some random thing in my house. And it's as comfortable as a heated swimming pool when it's chilly outside. I'll jump in headfirst and gratefully drown in my compulsive behavior. And as I like to say, embrace the crazy for all that it is. Occasionally I'll notice the sun coming up and for a moment I think, oh shit. Then I'll immediately think, totally worth it and keep going because at that point I'm looking at rational at rational oh yeah I'm looking at rational in the rear view mirror I wish I could say that I don't feel some shame when the sun's coming up and I'm still playing uh, civilization but um, I don't beat myself up like I used to this is an awful moment filled up filled out by a guy who calls himself sometimes I wear pants and he writes, Yesterday, my wife finally asked if I've been using her expensive skin cream. I told her I've been doing so secretly ever since I started to notice crow's feet on my face. Giving her that explanation was much easier than telling her I use it to jerk off while looking at photos of her 23-year-old sister. Oh, that is a dark, dark Christmas present. That might be Hall of Fame awfulsome. And then finally, this is a happy moment from Johnny Toxic 1985. And he writes, This past weekend, my uh, two best friends got married, and I had the unbelievable honor of officiating their wedding. For the first time in a long time, my cerebral palsy uh, didn't matter. The fact that they asked me to be a central part of one of the biggest moments of their lives blows me away. It was truly one of the greatest and happiest moments of my life. That is uh, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Well, thank you guys for uh, for all your surveys and your support. And I really uh, hope that you can um, come to uh, Podfest or the Bell House again. Podfest is going to be um, uh, September nineteenth. Um, it's a Saturday night. Mine's on the later side, and uh, that website is lapodfest.com. You can get tickets or purchase the uh, streaming thing. And then the other live event is September 27th. It's a Sunday. It's at 7 p.m. Doors open at 6. And it's at the Bell House in Brooklyn. And the website for that, for tickets, is uh, thebellhouseny.com. And I hope if you're uh, out there and you're feeling stuck, 
that uh, all the stuff I read tonight and the stuff I shared and the stuff I talked about with Jason helps remind you that you are so not alone. You are so not alone. We're all struggling on some level. Some of us just hide it better than others. And um, I feel like if we didn't have the dips, then the uh, you know the hills wouldn't feel as good. And so when I'm in a dip, I just try to remember I'm in the process of building appreciation for the hill. And um, that works. That works for me. And um, just remember that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I in some weird way. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way.